Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be preaching through verses 18 to 25 this morning. If you're new to Manoa Community Church, we've taken a break from our Hebrews 11 series on faith. We were going through the Hall of Faith to do a brief Christmas series, an Advent series called The Story of Christmas. And I said at the outset of this Advent series that every good story has great character development. And the Christmas story is a great story. We love to see the nativity with all the characters emerge and come together around baby Jesus. Because there's characters like Mary, who Ron preached about last week. There's obviously Joseph, who we'll look at this week. But there's also Elizabeth and Zechariah. We looked at their characters. There's the wise men. And so we've been preaching through all of these different characters week by week, I've been preached through the shepherds, and the kids did an amazing job doing that pageant, didn't they? Acting out all of the characters. Amen. You can give it up for the kids. If you missed that, the video's on YouTube. Ask one of the parents for that. There were literally backflips going on in church. It was incredible. I'm not joking. All right. Today, we're looking at Joseph. And so Mary... uh, was revealed through the angel Gabriel that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. Well, Joseph is betrothed to her, and they are engaged to be married, as most of you know the story, but he is uncertain of this at this point. In fact, he doubts the story is reliable or true. And so in Matthew's account of this, we see that God appears to him, an angel appears to him through a dream. So we're going to be learning more about the Christmas story through the eyes and through the dream of Joseph this morning. I will be reading verses 18 to 25 in their entirety, and I've entitled today's sermon, Dreaming of Christmas in Light of Joseph's Dream. So follow along beginning at verse 18. It'll be on the screens as well as in your Bibles. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus, dreaming of Christmas. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for the most incredible story in the world. A story that not only you wrote, God, but a story that you wrote yourself into through the person of Jesus Christ. God, you are the author of life, you are the author of all creation, and you are the author of all of our stories. And yet, God, we thank you that you, the author, then 
write yourself in as one of the characters, and then live the story with us on our behalf through Jesus Christ. And so, God, we pray that the story of Christmas would sweep into our lives and into our stories and even rewrite our stories and redefine our stories and redefine our very lives, that the author of life would also be the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word by the Holy Spirit even now. Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts to receive from you. We ask this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was unfamiliar with the movie White Christmas until I married my wife, Sarah Waters. Now she is Sarah Bomberger. It has become a family tradition in the Bomberger household to watch White Christmas, typically on Christmas Eve. Any of you guys watch White Christmas every year? Yeah, look around the room. And it opens with a scene where Bing Crosby is singing to a group of soldiers in World War II I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know, where the treetops glisten and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card I write. May your days be merry and bright, and may all your Christmases be white. There's a picture of him singing this from the movie, and then we get a scene of the soldiers kind of wistfully looking away and kind of swept up in the dream of Christmas, this white Christmas, where it transports them from this war zone, this war scene where there's violence. Literally, a few minutes later, bombs will be blowing up and they will be fleeing and hopping into trucks to fight a war. But in that moment, that dream of Christmas invades their present reality and it sweeps them up into beauty. It sweeps them up into peace. It sweeps them up into joy. And every Christmas, my wife has been watching the weather very closely. You guys can pull those pictures down, you know, because she's been dreaming of a white Christmas, and it looks like it was going to snow, and it appears now it's going to be rain. (laughs) Who knows? You could pray for a white Christmas. But it got me thinking about dreams and Christmas dreams and what we long for in Christmas and really how Christmas got kick-started with a dream, a literal dream, right? A literal dream where it could have gone very differently. We could have had a single mom raising the Son of God abandoned and ashamed and alone. We could have had a mob scene literally trying, trying to stone her as she fled from her life for her life not only from Herod, but from the very village that she grew up in. And yet this dream that invades the Christmas story changes the Christmas story, part of God's divine plan that then builds the Christmas story for all of time. The dream of Christmas that Joseph experienced set them on a trajectory to become this wonderful, holy family that we now celebrate every year at Christmas. And there's three things I want to talk about this morning as we look under this banner of the dream of Christmas, what it does not only for Joseph and Mary and for the original story, but our own Christmas story as well. So if you're taking notes, these are the three things. The dream of Christmas covers shame and fear, bears your sin's solution, and delivers God to you. The first one, we'll go through these slowly, is the dream of Christmas covers shame and fear. I want to reread verses 19 and 20 to set up this point. Because remember, they've been betrothed to be married, and 19, her husband Joseph, 
being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, underline or circle the word shame in your Bible, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Underline, do not fear, and circle the word fear, to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The dream of Christmas first covers shame and fear. Joseph, in this moment, we are given a snapshot through the angel speaking to him in the dream to get a sense of what's going on in his inner being, in his soul. He says, Joseph, do not be afraid. Because Joseph is afraid. He's afraid that the woman that he's been betrothed to has been unfaithful to him. Now, we don't have betrothal in our culture the way they did back then, but this is legally binding. They're not married yet, but there's an agreement between the families. They've signed essentially a marriage contract with one another, and you can only end this through, as we see, a divorce. They have not consummated it. They have not had a ceremony. They have not come together for their wedding night. So there's been no union, and yet here is his betrothed who is now starting to have a little bit of a baby bump, right? And he's described to us as a just man, a, maybe your Bible says a righteous man, or NLT, a good man. This is a man who fears God. This is a man who would never sleep with a woman before he's married to her, amen? He would never commit adultery. He would never commit infidelity. And so he is afraid. He's afraid of what this says about her, who he's about to give the rest of his life to, entering into this union. And he's afraid of what it says about him because he knows that he didn't do that, right? But nobody else knows that. And so if he jumps into her story, which sounds madness, right? Joseph, an angel appeared to me, said, I'm gonna give birth to the son of God. That's why I'm pregnant, I can think of a few other more plausible reasons than the one that you're sharing with me right now. And it's interesting, I would say this about his character at this moment. Though he's afraid, his righteousness, his justice, we often think our just man, a righteous person, wants justice, right? He's going to say, I'll throw her under the bus so I look good. Guys, I didn't do this, it's her. I mean, literally, the law of Moses could have allowed mob justice to come in. They could have stoned Mary. If he wanted to divorce her loudly, he had every right to do that. But his righteousness and his justice did not exemplify itself in self-righteousness to distance himself from her. The best he can think up and conjure up in his mind is how do I cover this up, her shame up, quietly? How do I allow her to save as much face as possible? Which I think is a beautiful picture, by the way, Christian, if you consider yourself just and righteous. How do you relate to others who are trapped in sin? Mary is not. This is the unjust interpretation. He's thinking wrongly about it, but some people literally are, and his goal is to not embarrass her, right? And I think that should be our goal as well as believers, that we would want to cover over people's shame as well and not expose them. But here we see that the dream of Christmas, the first thing it does is it covers shame and fear. Now, how does it do it? We'll talk about forgiveness in the second point, 
But this is not about forgiveness at this point because she has done nothing wrong. The way that it covers shame and fear both for her and for him is by shining the light on the truth, right? That this, I was thinking of the white Christmas, the light of God, how does, why do we like the white Christmases? It's because all of the dirty, dingy streets, right, get covered over with beautiful whites. And they look glorious. All the land, you could have a trash heap. And with a white Christmas, it looks like a sledding hill, right? I mean, it covers over. And in here, the way that God covers over shame and fear is with the truth. Where God himself invades Joseph's dreams while he's sleeping. I have a lot of dreams. Any of you guys have nightmares, right? Where you're feeling pretty good and then you go to sleep at night and you wake up alarmed. Joseph has the opposite of a night terror. Where he is terrified, he is afraid, he is ashamed and he's ashamed for her. And all of a sudden an angel comes to him and drives out all of his fears with the reality of the nobility of the woman that he's about to marry and the truthfulness. He vindicates her story in a way that only God could do, coming to her in a dream. God speaks sometimes in dreams. I've had people ask, do you believe that? I have to believe that. Otherwise, the Christmas story and my whole Bible unravels. Not every dream you have is from the Holy Spirit. Not every dream you have is from an angel. But don't discount every dream because the Holy Spirit can speak to you and God can still speak in this way. And so in this moment, the dream of Christmas covers shame and it covers fear. The white Christmas, if you will, is the white Christmas first of truth. The snow in the first point is the truth covering over fear and shame. But secondly, the dream of Christmas not only covers shame and fear, and it does so with the truth, the dream of Christmas bears your sin's solution. The dream of Christmas bears your sin's solution. Verse 21, the dream continues, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for, why? He will save his people, whose people? Jesus' people, the son's people, from their sins. The dream of Christmas bears your sin's solution. Saying this child that is conceived in her womb, first, the story that she told you is accurate. It's true. She's going to give birth to God's son and the child, the boy, that you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, this confirms Mary's story before. Ron preached an excellent job last week. Didn't he do a great job, guys, for those who are here? Amen. And he shared about how the angel Gabriel came to her and said, you shall name him Jesus. But the angel didn't say to Mary in that moment, why? Over here in the dream now, another angel, an undisclosed, might be Gabriel, we're not sure, just an angel, an angel of the Lord appears to her or to him now and says, you shall name him Jesus. Boom, confirm those stories, right? Okay, the dream, we don't know if they've talked about this either. I think it's possible that he never heard the name and then came to Jesus, Jesus, yep, yeah, yeah. all right, we're all on the same page here, right? But here, Ron preached this last week, but if you weren't here, or let me refresh you, the name Jesus, Joshua, very common name back then, is the Lord saves, or the Lord is the Savior. Jehovah, Yahweh, is God the Savior. He is the salvation. 
So the very name given to this child conceived by the Holy Spirit in her womb is the Lord saves. So he says, you shall name this child the Lord saves. Why? For, you see the clause in your For, why? The Lord saves. He, who? The Lord. No, the son, the child. The child will save his people from their sins. The dream of Christmas bears your sins solution. Just because there's a miraculous birth does not imply that there is a savior on the way. Elizabeth and Zechariah had a miraculous birth for John the Baptist. Doesn't turn him into the son of God, right? Does not mean that he's the savior of the world, right? There's, there's other miraculous births in our Bibles. This is unique because God himself, not just an old couple, is giving birth, but also the nature of the child, the reason he's given the name Jesus is because he is the savior for his people's sins. Can I get a hallelujah? Jesus saves, the Lord saves, this child will save. Now, biblically speaking, salvation is big and broad. So right away, until the angel finishes the clause, you could say, the Lord saves, Jesus is saved. You could say, like Moses, Moses was a deliverer of sorts, a savior of sorts. He helped people get salvation's deliverance from Egypt, right? So there's a deliverance from evil. There's a deliverance from the world. Goliath, right? These giants in the world that David is a type of savior that kills the giant and delivers God's people. Those are all external threats that we are saved from and God saves us from those as well. But Jesus is given the name Jesus, not first and foremost of those external threats. The angel says in the dream, the reason he has this name Jesus is in in internal threats, internal to the very people he is seeking to save. What is the thing that he's saving us from? He is saving us from there, from our sins. He's saving us from ourselves. Do you see it? He's saving us from ourselves. He's saving us from our foolish decisions. He's saving us from our adultery. He's saving us from our fornication. He's saving us from our lust. He's saving us from our rage and from our anger and from our jealousy. And he's saving us from our fights with our spouse. He's saving us from our anger against our children, right? He's saving us from all of that. From your spite against your coworker. He's saving us from our road rage. He's saving us. Write your list, your biggest vices that are begetting in your life that you say, I don't even know who I am apart from some of these things. They are so deeply ingrained in me. And Jesus was sent to save you from those very things that would seek to destroy your soul. Jesus was sent as the Savior to save you from your sins. God wrote himself into the story to rescue you, not first from politics, not first, which we need some rescuing from, right? Not first from your boss, not first from your neighbors that you can't get along with. The first thing he wants you to know is I was sent to save you from yourself, to save you from your sins. Amen. Do you want to be saved from your sins? Or do you love them? Do you cherish them and hold on to them? 
or do they grieve you? The Savior was sent to rescue you from sins. And he uses that language of possession there. Did you see that? He, will, he is sent to save. He doesn't say save all people from their sins, does he? He will save his people from their sins. Now, I think Joseph instantly, this is what he'd be thinking as a first century Jew. You ready? He's sent to save Israel from their sins, right? He's sent to save Jewish people from their sins. That's probably the scope. When he heard he's sent to save his people from their sins, he's thinking a Savior has come to deliver the people of Moses and the people of Abraham, those people from their sins. But you and I on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, on this side of Pentecost, and on this side of the gospel, going to all the nations, tribes, and tongues, realize that his people is much bigger and much broader than an ethnic people group. Amen? It's his people are from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. All the people who belong to Jesus across all of those people groups belong to Jesus. But not every person does. Otherwise, every person would be saved. So you say, well, pastor, how do I know I'm his people? It's not that hard. Are you saved from your sins? You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. That's all you have to know to know that you belong to Jesus is be saved from your sins to turn to Jesus by faith. And you know that his blood and his death on the cross, his birth in the Virgin Mary applies to you and that he was sent for you. Never self-select out of this. Always say, Jesus died for all of us, and I am part of those people that I belong to through faith in Jesus Christ. But if you think it's automatic that the Christmas story applies whether you do anything, if you never repent from your sins, if you never turn to the Savior, there is a caution even in the blessing. He will save his people from their sins. There are some people who will self-select out of that and have to pay for their own sins. Jesus will pay for yours if you turn to him through faith. Amen? Amen. The dream of Christmas bears your sins solution. The first point, we talked about a white Christmas, right? The whiteness was the truth shining into the darkness and illuminating the reality of Mary's virtue. The second point, the light shines in and it actually exposes the dunghill, right? It actually exposes the trash dump at first, and then the snow of God's grace and mercy comes, and it covers over it. Do you see the difference? Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, the minister of the gospel, said that basically being made right with God, he said justification by faith, believing in Jesus, we and our sins, we're like these Dung hills, he says, but the, the snow that covers over them is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he covers over all of our wickedness and all of our evil deeds with his righteousness so that we are covered in the blood of Christ and we are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that when God looks at us as sinners, he doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the whiteness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's good news. Can I get an Amen. The first white Christmas is a white Christmas of truth. The second white Christmas revealed that we dream of is a white Christmas of grace that covers over our sins and shame. Thirdly and finally, 
The dream of Christmas not only covers shame and fear, bears your sin's solution, but delivers God to you. The dream of Christmas delivers God to you, verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. He's quoting the Old Testament, Isaiah here. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, now we get the parenthetical explanation, the Bible interpretation, which means God with us. Of course, Joseph wakes from the dream. He goes ahead with the union and marries her completely. The dream of Christmas delivers God to you. Now you'll see in this final revelation from the angel, he says the reason that he's named Jesus will save his people from their sins. He shall be Emmanuel, God with us, fulfilling the ancient promise given through the prophet Isaiah to his people that God would come with us. And he says that through this incarnation, that's the Christian word we use for this, this fact that God became man, that the Holy Spirit came upon the Virgin Mary, and that her human DNA somehow so created this divine being, this God-man in Jesus Christ, that the divine put on flesh so that we who are human beings might become partakers of God. And the divine nature, once again, that we might be united to God, that God came into this world to reveal God to you. But more than reveal God to you, to bring God to you. The dream of Christmas delivers God to you. Now, historically speaking, we look back in our Bibles, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have stories. We have history. We have it recorded, reliable eyewitness accounts. So that when you say, Pastor, what is God like? Because it's so big. He's so big and abstract. And it's hard for me to wrap my mind around the character of God. He's omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful. You just say, God is big, I'm small. I got it. But what is he like? The best answer I could give you is look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like in a way that's relatable to you, look to the God-man Christ. If you want to see what mercy looks like, the mercy of God on display, not in an abstract way, but in a concrete way, look at the mercy of Jesus. If you want to understand the love of God just a little bit better, look to the love of Christ. If you want to see the compassion of God on display, look to the compassionate tears of Jesus Christ. If you want to see God's Power on display. Look at Jesus walking on water. Of course, God parted the water through Moses. But look at Jesus. All of the miracles. If you want to know God, look at Jesus. The dream of Christmas delivers God to us. That God has now in Christ ten fingers and ten toes. and walk. We can relate to him because of the incarnation through the Son of God. He brings God to us. But not just in our Bibles, now. Here's where I want to push this even further. Because Jesus entered into the flesh so that we could continue to have a personal relationship with him today in 2022, into 2023, and into eternity. Amen? Because Jesus died and rose again and sent the Holy Spirit. And now, through the Holy Spirit, we can be united to Christ. That Christ comes and lives in us. Lives in you so that God can literally be with you. 
God with you, not just the external gods up in heaven, I'm down here, but no, God with me, God with Stephan, God with Rob, God with your name, God with us. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul writes. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, that we are united to Christ. Christ in you, and you are in Christ. He took on human nature so that you and your humanity might experience his divine nature beating in your heart. No greater gift can be given at the gift of Christmas time than this gift. And we all look forward to gifts around Christmas, don't we? My kids are saying what they want to get for Christmas. I heard, overheard one of the gifts we didn't buy my one daughter yet. Uh, she's downstairs, so she's not listening to this. <laughs> Elizabeth, who hijacked the service. I told my wife yesterday, I think we got to get that gift, right? <laughs> because I think there's going to be some tears and disappointment when we open those presents if that gift's not there. We look forward to gifts at Christmas time. And there are a lot of great gifts that God gives us that we look forward to. I look forward to heaven. Are you looking forward to heaven? I look forward to heaven. I look forward to everlasting life that death will be done away with. Do you? Great gifts come to us through the Christmas story, but here's the greatest gift of all. It's not heaven and it's not everlasting life. The very greatest gift of all every Christmas and now and forever is God himself. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. Heaven is heaven because God is there and you get to be with him. And he wants you to be with him. That's a great gift, isn't it? That God would want sinners forgiven through the blood of Christ to be near to him, that we would be his children. He would be our father and wipe away every tear on that final day. The gift of Christmas is the gift of God himself. Christ came into this world to give you himself, to give you God. What do you really want this Christmas? What are you most looking forward to in the life to come? If it's the golden streets, warning, warning, warning. If it's the mansions, mansions are awesome, but warning, warning, warning. If heaven would be great without God there, warning, warning, warning. The greatest gift we can look forward to is God. Love him because he loves you and live with him because he lives in your heart through faith in Jesus Christ. And may that be the greatest gift that we look forward to and the greatest thing that we thank God for every Christmas now and forever and ever. Amen. Amen.